Hello and welcome to Autodidacts Anonymous. My name's Matt and I'm an autodidact. My name's Huddo and I too am an autodidact. Good to see you again, Matt. Welcome. Um, so today is a bit of a first for our podcasts because we have a, a whole podcast devoted to unanswerable questions. We have. We could have two or three number of questions we got on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, rather than tack this on to the previous episode, I thought we'd have a whole episode devoted to your wisdom, Hutter. Thank you. And it gives me about uh, 60 seconds to answer each one. So. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. So um, the questions are to do with um, Chapter 12 of Arari's book, The Law of Religion. If you haven't heard us talk about that, uh, check out our last podcast. Um, and we can start, if you're ready, Hutto, we can start from now. Well, I think I'm ready until you ask the first question. Okay. So the first question is a very simple one. Does God exist and, or gods? And if so, which God or gods? Right. Well, you were doing so well there to start with. Does God exist? Three word question. And I was going to give you a one word answer. Yes. And then you ruined it all. (laughs) Sorry, I should have broken it down to two questions. (laughs) We don't have time to go into this. Yes, God exists. What kind of God am I talking about? I'm talking about a creator, sustainer of the universe. Is he a God of love? Is she, it, they a God of love? Yes. Are uh, Are we talking about omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence and all that stuff? Omnibenevolence is another one. Omnibenevolence, eternity... All right. The nearest thing we know to the nature, the form of God, if you like, Mm. uh, would be mathematics. Um, Possibly information theory as well, but most people aren't very familiar with that. Um, It's also pretty nascent, whereas mathematics is well known. Mathematics is not something we invent. It's something we discover. It seems to be there. But if you ask questions like, does, is mathematics omnipotent? Well, I don't think there's any way of denying it or defying it. it yeah. Is, on, is it omnipresent? Well, I don't think there's any way you can go that mathematics doesn't apply. Yeah. Um, so you have these sort of things. Yeah. Um, and I think, is it eternal? Well, I don't think there's ever been a time it doesn't exist or apply. I'm sure a lot of school students be. would uh, question whether it's benevolent or not. <laughs> well, yeah, look, I'm not suggesting that mathematics yeah. has, um, uh, has love or compassion or intelligence, consciousness, mm. um, but we could get into a, a lot of discussion about that too. Um, what I'm saying is that if we get into a discussion of the nature of God here, that'll take up an hour in itself. So maybe we just leave it at this. The other thing you asked me about is things like, when you say he, he, she, it exists, are we talking about evidence or faith or knowledge or, you know, why do you come up with that? And yeah. There's another hour we could get into that. And yeah. I look forward to covering a book on religions, mm. in which case we will do that hour yeah. and it will be good. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll give you a tick because you answered the question in one word. Thank you. But I won't give you any extra marks for the the rapid dodging that you did afterwards. Okay, that (laughs) that sounds about normal. 
Um, for what it's worth, I, I actually believe God exists as well. But uh, when I ask which gods, I presume you don't think Zeus exists. No, I don't. Yeah. Big child, that one. So, so you believe you believe that a monotheistic god exists? Do you believe that the, you know the supreme the supreme force of the universe, as we spoke about during the podcast, that type of god? Or do you believe in polytheistic gods? Or do you believe in the fairy and the fig tree? Right. Another hour's conversation. <laughs> uh, fairies and fig trees, yes, they have a place. Spirits may have a place. Ghosts undoubtedly have a place. Um, so you, souls, there's a really complex one. Angels, demons, etc., etc. Um, I have no way of knowing if the being with whom I sense that I interact is in fact the ultimate creator God. I have That's no way true. of knowing. He may have a God of his own. It's a possibility, I suppose. Certainly, I don't... He may be lying to me for his own purposes. Even going through the Bible, you can find examples where God says something that clearly is not what we would interpret as a literal truth, mm. and he certainly withholds lots of information. He has to. I mean, our understanding is so limited. Mm. Um, he could hardly in Genesis talk about uh, evolution. There was no such word for the concept. Quantum yeah. physics. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I believe that the entity with whom I think I have a relationship is also the ultimate creator of this universe. Now, mm. that too isn't the end of the story. I you think you're going to ask me about mathematics further on, and I'm not at all convinced, for example, that God created mathematics. Okay. It may well be the other way around. So again, you've, there's still room, for example, to have a concept like Atman as well as an interactive God. Yeah. Monotheistic? Uh, well, if so, multifaceted. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I seem to have a subconscious, a conscious, and maybe a superconscious or something. Um, if I, even I am a pretty complex something, whatever yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you look now. I won't keep uh, prodding for more uh, more answers. <laughs> um, my next question is, I thought Harari did a, a really good job of explaining the progress of a religion from animism to, to polytheism to monotheism, incorporated dualism, so forth. Um, and I think, he, I think he gave an explanation as to how polytheism came about. I also think he gave an explanation as to how monotheism came about. What he didn't do is explain how animism actually came about. So when we spoke about animism, it was like relationships had an equal... Humans had an equal relationship with nature and also supernature. Yes. So we had an equal relationship with the lion, the river, the tree, the ghosts and the fairies. Yes. Now, to me, it's not immediately obvious how the concept of ghosts and fairies just pops up. Right. Out of nowhere. I've never seen a ghost or a fairy. I'm... Skeptical about, skeptical about the existence of ghosts, but I'm not going to definitively say they don't exist because I, I don't know. Um, but I wouldn't invent the concept of a ghost unless someone had sort of told me about it. So, but 
obviously they got invented, if you like, many different places at many different times throughout yes. the world. But Har- Harari didn't talk about how that came about. So my question is, how did animism come about? Right. Uh, okay. Uh, my starting place on this would probably be uh, Ken Wilber's Up From Eden, in which he discusses the development of human consciousness. Okay. Uh, in that, he's also pulling out some of the ideas of Julian James and extending them. And we could go on with the nature of human consciousness. Um, Harari did do a great job, I agree with you. He stripped out everything that was silver and maybe and everything else to keep a very concise narrative of history. Um, Because, again, once you get into this stuff, you are into hours of stuff, starting with the nature of human consciousness and that wonderful word, mind. Mm. Um, I see all sorts of stuff written about artificial intelligence and when will it be general intelligence and will it, you know, can it have a soul and all this sort of stuff. There seems to be no awareness of just how complex mind is. Yeah. Um, we t- talked a moment there about subconscious, conscious, superconscious, etc. But you've also got all the altered states of consciousness which come in and you've got lucid dreaming, you've got meditation, you've got sleep, all these sort of things. Psychedelics. Yes, exactly. Um, so the first thing you have to understand is, yes, religion, spiritualism, etc., is part of the glue that holds the mind together and enables it to do things. So mm. you can have conversations with yourself. Yeah. Um, you can have conversations with different parts of yourself. You can have arguments with yourself. Mm. You can perceive things which aren't there, both because your senses can be con- deceived and also because your conceptual models for interpreting what you've sensed can be deceived. Mm. Um, and on top of that, I'd have to say... There is actually some evidence around that such things as ghosts and maybe spirits and agencies and so on also exist. Mm. Um, you referred me somewhere between the flip and the flop to a book, uh, God, A Human History of Religion by Reza Aslan. Um, and that talks a bit about how Eve might come to perceive a tree as being a spirit. And we've all had the experience, you know, you hear somebody talking to you, apparently, behind you, turn round, and there's no one to be seen except a black crow, which is looking at you strangely. And your mind makes the association, the crow is speaking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do tend to anthropomorphise things. Absolutely. That's certainly a, a product of mind, I think. It is absolutely a product of mind. It is also, there is a thing called... Uh, there's a thing called theory of mind. It's an executive function. It's another one the psychologists have come up with. Um, and that that's the thing which automatically makes us assume if something is human-like, then it must be have other qualities of humanity. Mm. And we do this with our computers all the time. You know, you're playing chess with the computer yeah. and you look at it and say, oh, it's thinking. Yeah. Well, it's not thinking, it's computer. Or you, or you get angry with it or 
yeah. you feel superior to it. If exactly, you I beat it, you know. Yeah. One, no, it should feel humiliated yeah, true, and all yeah. this sort of thing. Um, and, and we do it, you know. A dog has some human characteristics, so we assign more to it. You see a face in a tree and you assign characteristics to that and you assign to it the same experiences you have, you know. Um, if I'd been beaten at chess, I'd feel humiliated, so yes. you should feel humiliated. <laughs> That's right. And so it goes on. So there's many different ways why in our attempts to construct an understanding of the universe, we would come up with ideas like agency, spirits, mm. um, powers, and things like this. Yeah, it's clearly a fairly natural thing to do because it's, it happened pretty much everywhere. It's a very natural thing for the human mind yeah, today. Yeah. And I think you make a good point about altered states of consciousness. I mean, you come up from a, a vivid, lucid dream and it feels like it has some reality to it. Yes. And there's something from somewhere trying to speak to you. Yes. And then you start to anthropomorphise whatever that was. Yes. And that would make some sense. And I think, uh, you know, psychedelics, which have been taken through history as well, and, you know whistling wind in the dark woods and then you know the the knot the knot in the tree looks like a human face yeah and then you go back and tell eve goes back and tells adam yeah hey uh the tree just spoke to me yeah and adam trusts eve he's got no reason not to yeah and then all of a sudden you know he's a believer yeah and now they're mission missionaries for this new fig tree fairy yeah um and the other thing too is in looking at what Harari presented to us, you know, usefulness is a feature mm. beyond question. So um, a useless a useless fairy is, is no good to you, but yeah. one who can actually guide you away from the, the pit or yeah. warn you or heal you or this sort of thing, that's very useful. You know, shamanic practices and stuff like that. Yeah. The healer and the medicine man, the juju... The conjurer, and remember too that we're very good at conjuring. I yeah. mean, there's people out there who do amazing tricks which yeah. completely fool the mind. Yeah. Um, but they, they leave an impression with you. You swear you saw that card change from an ace to a two or something. Yeah. Um, because this is the way we make the You can also have dreams or even just flashes of insight Yes. that predict the future. Yes. Yeah. Um, prescience. We have a whole mix of. Okay, your religious person may talk about things like gods, demons, angels, prayers, healing, yeah. trance states, etc. Yeah. Your spiritualist may talk about things like white wicker, black wicker, the occult, magic, yeah. um, and these sort of things, healing, yeah. levitation. Um, so... The religious person will talk about the miracle and walking on water. The magician spiritualist will talk about levitation. Mm. The scientist will talk about psychokinesis, yeah. um, prescience, uh, precognizance, and, yeah. and this sort of thing. They're all talking about the same thing in yeah. all likelihood, yeah. um, but they've got totally different terminology. Different, and to, different purposes as yes, well. Yes, and different explanations for how yeah. it all comes about. Yep. Um, I think we've we barely touched the surface of it. I think that's a good answer, though. I'll give you a good tick for that. A whole tick? Yeah, wow. You, can, um, you're gonna, you got that one right, I think. Um, 
So talking about um, usefulness of gods, my next question is, is preoccupation with saving one's own soul inherently selfish? Um, yeah, I've seen this one come up on core a few times, etc. Um, I personally say, if that's the driving motivation, yes. Um, to be honest, it's never occurred to me. Um, but mm. apparently there are people out there who are doing everything to preserve their soul and avoid to going me, to To me, it's built into the... Well, the, Christian, the the big monotheistic religions. So I think I think a lot of the selling point for why you become a Christian is that you're saved, right? And so that's it, I'm not a yeah, I'm not a, a, a Christian, but if I was, it would be because I wanted to save my soul. And to, and my interpretation of that would be that I don't want to die. I don't want my ego to die. I don't want myself to die. I want to be me for the rest of eternity and hopefully living in, in paradise, right? Um, to me, there's a lot of ego around that belief. So I'm probably jumping in now and perhaps answering the question. Um, you are? Yeah, <laughs> apologies for that. Um, and I probably should have done that originally when I was giving context for the question. But, I mean, you know, if there was a religion whereby if you acted like a perfectly good person your whole life, but you didn't save your own soul, you still died, how popular would that religion be? I don't know. I would suggest to you it could be very popular because you have to remember that this concept of saving your own soul did not exist in early Christianity, which was still thriving under oh, I didn't know. I didn't know it didn't exist in early yeah, Christianity. Yeah, it really didn't. Um, right. The soul thing came in when St Augustine, working on his theology influenced by Plato and other things, such as Gnosticism, yeah. um, uh, decided to incorporate it in. But oh, it, it okay. well, that, that's interesting. So what was driving the early Christians then? Just, well, just belief? Uh, well, I would say a number of things. But um, look, Christianity is a religion of love. Its exemplar is an avatar of love. And if you love someone, you want to do the right thing by them. It's nothing to do with selfishness. Yeah. Um, and as I said to you concerning Judaism the other day, you sort of said, well, why, why do Jews do what they do? And I said, well, for the most part, I think they do what they do because that's what Jews do. And from the day they're born, they're told that that's what Jews do, so that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and that's a perfectly good reason for the, you know, it, it. It's built into the self-identity thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other day I parked and didn't do a very good job of parallel parking. I looked at it and went back and fixed it because yeah. it's the nature of me. I'm not happy with doing a bad park. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't anything concerned with pleasing God or pleasing myself or yeah. saving my soul. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's a good answer. I'm happy with that. So another one that ties in with um, the usefulness of gods is, was the invention of God another symptom of the disease of more? So gods were seen as a way of, of getting more of what you want. Right. Um, yes, they are to some extent connected with that symptom. I don't think it's a very close connection. Um, mainly, I think, 
people were more concerned with avoiding disaster rather than getting abundance. But sure, you know, if you've got a way of avoiding disaster and you can use it to get abundance, you'll probably do some of that too. Yeah. Um, unquestionably, useful gods will tend to be more popular than ones who aren't seen as being useful. So yeah. Harari suggests that one explanation of the problem of good and evil is that there is indeed a monotheistic god and he's evil. Yeah. Um, it's never been a particularly popular religion yeah. for the obvious reason it don't do us any good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. That's fine. Um, now, next question. Would you like to renounce all desires to unite with the fundamental power of the universe as per the Buddhist uh, philosophy? Right, yes, the Buddhist idea. Um, my conceptual framework for this is not Buddhist. Some would say it's not even Christian. But first of all, I see life as a journey up a mountain, a spiritual mountain. And if, if what's at the top is heaven or whatever, fine. But I don't actually think it works that way. I think part of heaven is in my heart. So part of what I'm saying is I feel I am united with the fundamental power of the universe. Yep. He's right with me on the journey and so is mathematics if it comes to that. You can't kind of get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and part of heaven is travelling with me in my heart. Yeah. Um, it's not about I have to get to some place nor is it about I have to reject all desires to do it. Yeah. They're all part with me on the journey yeah. and they always will be. Yeah. Um, yes, I may actually end up in some destination where earthly cares are no longer a concern. Well, that would be nice, I suppose. Um, but in the meantime, I think the rich tapestry of life is part of what we're supposed to be taking on board and working with. Now... <clears throat> I have no arguments with Buddha, who was a terrific, enlightened, loving being, who was dealing with the problem of suffering. Yeah. And I believe what he found, what he advocates, is, is all good stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of identity there, yes. But again, it's not like... I don't like this Christian idea of you try and live a virtuous life and then you drop down dead and, whoa, you go to heaven. I mean, yeah. that, that just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. You're certainly not perfect when you die. Yeah. And that you suddenly leap to being in the presence of God forever. No, this makes no sense. Yeah. God is with me every second of the day. Yeah. And I don't have to give up anything for that to continue to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't believe in the fundamental sort of premise of the question, really. Correct, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So if that were true, um, I like the idea of it. So if, if I knew for a fact that if I renounced all my desires and I could unite with God, the Godhead, in a state of bliss and happiness, I'd be very attracted to that idea. Right. I'd still struggle with it, though. Right. I mean, to give up all your desires is a is a the most difficult thing to do, I would say. I couldn't imagine anything being more difficult than that. Right. So I'd like to say, yeah, I'd absolutely do it. Um, but I think in a sense I probably believe... I, I believe it's probably true. I don't know that it's true. I believe the question... I, I believe that's the way to reach God. Um, but I'm not doing it 
So that's interesting, you know, why, you know, how strong are our beliefs, you know, to what extent do they determine our behaviour and so forth. Okay, look, motivations is another wonderful question connected with consciousness. Yeah. But I would fundamentally say this is all bound up in love. And yeah. I don't think Buddha would deny it. Either. No, I agree with that too. Um, and the thing about love is when you're really filled with love for someone, for God, for yourself, which remember that Christ's interpretation was love your neighbour as you love yourself, you have to love yourself as you cannot love your neighbour. Yeah. And I don't think many people are really good at loving themselves, but when you get to this level, um, most of your desires and your compensating strategies and these sort of things become trivial. You're mm. just not really concerned about them. Yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, no, good answer. Um, my next question is, I think we assume that we've made progress in our religious beliefs over time as we've, as we've progressed, in inverted commas, from animism to polytheism to monotheism. But my question is, is it possible that we've actually regressed in our religious beliefs over time and, in fact, uh, animism is actually closer to the truth? Or polytheism, for that matter. Right. Very good question. Like this question. <laughs> um, I would suggest that animism, polytheism have... If you live your life in the right way, probably have as much connection with progress as monotheism. Yeah. Um, I think the idea that we have progressed in our religious understanding is tenuous. Mm. Um, I think Buddha was <clears throat> as close to the mark as we are now in very Well, he was certainly ways. more advanced than I am, and he was around in about 500 BC, I think, yeah. so that's 2,500 years before me, and more and more advanced spiritually, obviously, than I am. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we take Christianity, it has picked up so much baggage on the way, much of which is incorrect, convoluted logic. Yeah. Um, you know, part, what most Christians believe is not only not what Christ taught, um, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so... Look, it may be that there's some enlightened beings or popes or something who have made some progress. I mean, there's reams of stuff written on the battle problems of good and evil and theology yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And yeah. some of them are insightful. But overall, I'd have to say, general understanding of religions, life, why we're here, this sort of thing, probably haven't progressed much since that. You know, a Native American Indian with a good shaman was probably doing as better than most religions, most Christians listening to a sermon each Sunday. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's a good answer. Um, my next one, I th I think, is a fairly simple one. Actually, probably I probably shouldn't have categorised it as unanswerable. But um, I hear a lot that religion is responsible for all the wars in history. Yes. Is that true, Hutto? Well. It is true. I have heard a lot of people saying that religion is responsible for all the wars in history. <laughs> However, um, let's just have a look at the last couple of centuries. Yeah. 
Napoleonic Wars. Don't think they were religious. Well, it depends how you define religion. Well, <laughs> if we're going to use the wide definitive definition of religion, you could you could argue that it was. I would say much of it hung around the topic of greed. <laughs> um, when um, last time in our last uh, chapter, one of the questions was: Is money the root of all evil? Yes. We, we discussed. Um, you know, whether money caused all the wars. Now we're discussing whether religion caused all the wars. Indeed, sir. Yeah. Um, Machiavelli wrote that war is the only true study of princes. Mm. I don't think he wrote that because he saw religion as being important. Yeah. I think he saw it as, well, it mattered because there was only two ways a prince could enlarge his kingdom. Yeah. One was by suitable marriages and the other was by war and conquest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we start off with Napoleonic Wars, War of the Spanish Succession, War of American Independence, um, American Civil War, various French revolutions, things, of course, part of the Napoleonic stuff. Um, and we can come forward to the Boer War, we can look at um, all the Sino-Japanese Wars, we can look at World War One, World War Two. I'm not saying any of these as being religious wars. No, I, I agree with you. I think even if we use the wide defini definition of religion and include ideology, mm -hmm. you, you could include the Cold War as a religious war because yes. it was a clash of ideologies and you, can, you could count a lot more wars. But it still wouldn't count for all wars no. because a lot of wars... I think an interesting question would be, does money, empire and religion explain all the wars? And that would be a tougher one to, that would to be get out of. But I also think that... Greed is still the fundamental driver. Yeah, see, I, I mean, it depends how you define things. Like, I'd put that under money, you know, because power, I, you know, power obviously is a is a uh, is yep. a big driver of people's motivations. But a lot of time, power comes down to money and empire. Well, mon money is just a form of counting and storing. Yeah, it's well, it's a form of power as well, though, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and mainly what they were after was land. Um, yeah, but picking up empire. Empire. And yeah. picking, but picking up a bunch of slaves never hurt either. Maybe as an exercise at some point, I'll have to have a think about wars and think, can I think of any that wasn't about money, empire and religion? And I might be hard-pressed to find Oh, I, I think I could give you a couple of starting points on that. What would be your first one? Well, I mean, you're always going to see people who fought wars for freedom. Um, yeah, see, once again, how do you define things? I'd, I'd put that down as empire. Yeah. You know um, what I mean? Or, or, or anti-empire, right. in that sense. Well, you've also, for example, got the American Civil War, which was largely about slavery. Mm. Now, you could certainly say, well, the slave owners wanted to keep their slaves, which is a form of power, yeah. and wealth, which it very definitely was. Yeah. But what exactly was motivating the other side? Yeah. That's a good question. Mm. Okay. You've done well. Um, now, my next question. Um, might have been answered in the in the in the chapter as we went through it actually, but I, I said earlier that that Harari gave a good explanation as to why people gave up on polytheism to embrace monotheism. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a bit vague, to mm -hmm. be honest. I'm wondering. I'm going to ask you the question: Why did people convert to monotheism from polytheism? Mm. Um. I agree with you. Look, I think Harari did a, a wonderful job, but he also did a wonderful job of showing that polytheism just came in the back door. I um, thought he really did a really good explanation of how polytheism polytheism came about. Yes. But 
he didn't explain how animism came about, and I thought I thought the discussion of how monotheism came about was a little bit. It just ha- it's almost yeah. how it just happened. Yeah. Um, look, I agree, and one of the things I find when I'm writing a book is the only way I can keep it readably short in the way he's yeah. kept sapiens short is yeah. you want to know about that go and read another book mm. in my case i say go and look at my website and that'll point you to a whole bunch of resources because if i start on that topic here it's going to be another book yeah um so he he does a wonderful job of keeping it to the path and to gold yeah um but yes, look, the debate over monotheism versus polytheism and what is what and, you know, is a triune Christian God truly a monotheistic God and is the Hindu pantheon polytheism when they have a single Atman concept? Well, this is what I learned about polytheism and I, I thought it was really interesting was the fact polytheism, they do believe in this supreme yeah. kind of universal ruler. Yes. And I actually didn't know that. So once I understood that, to me, the leap wasn't as great as what I had previously thought. Right. Because it was like, oh, that God exists anyway. The only change they made was that this God, we can actually probably persuade even the ultimate power of the universe. Now, I actually don't agree with that, whereas I think you do. But um, So in a sense, I'm probably more of a polytheist than a a monotheist. Okay, but again, it gets complicated because... As I understand it, their Atman concept yeah. is much closer to mathematics. Yes. It defines... It's, it's impersonal. Yeah, it defines the fabric of yeah. the universe. Yeah, yeah. So you could say the, the basic equations that define the universe could be Atman, if you like. Exactly. Now, that's what I also think the universal ruler of, of the universe is defined in under most polytheistic systems. Now, monotheism doesn't define it that way because all of a sudden they've taken on a personality and yes. they're about love and they care about humans and, and all the rest of it. Um, that's a leap that I'm, I haven't made yet and I'm not sure it's... I don't think it's true, right? Now, I don't know that for a fact, but um, I was certainly raised to think that way, but in my own investigations and thought over the journey... Um, I've probably come to believe in this universal soul, if you like, or Godhead or universal energy. That, but that I don't think that's necessarily a personal, a personal God, if you want to call it a God. I think God can be kind of a misleading word as well. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I believe, for what's worth. Okay. Well, to put in a couple of brief clarifiers, have... Have we made progress with our religious thinkings, etc.? Look, yes, I think your Zeus, ancient Greek pantheons, your Nordic gods, um, many of these ideas of gods as being anthropomorphized, bigger than human, but really behaving like big babies in many ways. (laughs) Um, You know, a god of thunder, yes, a great shafts of lightning in the heavens and rumbling noises, etc. Yeah, this is anthropomorphism at its worst. Um, When I talk of God and we use a pronoun he, because English is really hopeless because it is impersonal. Yeah. um, 
I'm not suggesting that we've got a God with an XY chromosome, a tendency to middle-aged baldness. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous. And a long beard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And nevertheless, you know, when Blake's painting a picture of him or whatever, that's, that's what he does. We talk about the God of love. You have to remember this concept which came through Judaism into Christianity, etc. Um, we're also looking at a warrior God here, you know. We... We're fighting off Edomites and Sodomites and all sorts of other mosquito bites, etc., and Moabites, Hittites. So we're, we need a god who's a war god and a powerful war god. Yeah. You know, the god of Israel neither slumbers nor rests. He's always on watch to protect us. Yeah. Now, that's a form of love, if you like. But this is the paternal form of love as against the nurturing, mothering, caring form of love you get from a female god. Yeah. So you have various things like, you know, mother nature. Um, I looked up Isis, oh, yes, by yes. the way, and that was the, the mother god of the Egyptian pantheon yes, yeah. and the, the Romans did adopt her. And you're looking at Isis and Osiris and all yeah, that, that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we have to be careful even in our understanding of what monotheistic religions say, because monotheistic religions have said pretty much everything. <laughs> well, we spoke about, too, how what most people believe today is syncretic yes. as opposed to monotheistic. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, so I think that might be a good point to leave this yep. excellent question. That's fine. So my next question then is relevant. Is Christianity monotheistic? Ah, yes. Well, ah... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes. And also saints. And... God, saints. Well, you have the saints. <laughs> Protestants don't have saints. Yeah. Um, You've got St. George, though. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the dragon, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, is Christianity monotheistic? Christianity clearly sees itself as being monotheistic, but practically... okay. What we don't have is pantheon stories about disputes between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's um, true. You know, there's no Zeus fighting Cronus and stuff like that goes yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, that's, that's rife in most of the pantheistic religions. Yeah. So, I'd have to say in its essence, yes, Christianity is monotheistic. <clears throat> there is one God and... And his will be done. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to give it a, a yes, Christianity is monotheistic. With some thought. With, not, a, not a simple With yes. some thought and bunches of caveats and a whole bunch My of... My understanding theology. is that a lot of the reason why Islam took off with such popularity when it came around in sort of the, the 6th century AD was because... It was simpler. Yes. Trying to reconcile the Trinity under a moniker of monotheism, you know, it requires quite a lot of uh, philosophical somersaults. And your average, your average peasant farmer probably isn't, you know, going to get that. Whereas if you come to him and say there's one God and he loves you and, no. you know, worship him and he's got one messenger, 
one main messenger, then you go, oh yeah, yeah okay, that makes sense. Because <laughs> yeah. you've already, because you're probably your family's probably been Christian for the last two or three hundred yeah. years anyway. Look, by by this this stage, Christianity had become the uh, the Roman state god, etc. We'd got all sorts of theological hoops being cast by people like Saint Augustine. Um, we'd introduced concepts of souls into it, and and yeah. out of Plato. Um, yeah. yeah, it was getting it was getting syncretic and quite hard to understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it had never been set up as a religion in the first place. Yeah. Joshua of Nazareth did not set out to start a new religion. Yeah. Reinterpret an existing one, yes, possibly. Yeah. Um, it was St. Paul who basically tried to then put the theological trappings on yeah. it and turn it into a religion, which he apparently did very successfully. Yeah. Um, but... Muhammad was able to start from a blank whiteboard yeah. and try and come up with something simpler and universally useful to this situation at that yeah, time. Yeah, and I wonder if a lot of that was really as a response to the the complexity of Christianity. Yes, I, I'm sure that simplicity was one of the features that yeah. he... And it is an appealing, him. that's an appealing yes. trait. If, you, if you've got a universal truth... Uh, that simple, yeah. you know, that's got a lot of appeal. It, absolutely. And look, we, we all have an innate disposition to like 10-word answers yeah. or less. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, the KISS principle, we love it. Keep it simple. I've only got a simple mind. Yeah. Now, the problem is, of course, over time things accumulate. Islam has not accumulated nearly as much baggage as Christianity managed to, but it's accumulated. Yeah, I so. think it has. I mean, you know, not as much, but yeah. uh, I'm not an expert on Islam by any stretch, but uh, I think there's quite a lot of debates that go on within Islam as well. Yeah. You've got your, your Sunnis and your Shiites, and then you've got your, um, your whirling dervishes. You've got all different sects of Islam as well. What they did do was um, they, <clears throat> they defined their canon and a shorter book at that in the Quran. Shorter, simpler, yeah. straight from the word of God as well, which Christianity, the Christian Bible never claimed to be well, straight from the word of well, they, they the didn't, mouth of God. They, nobody started out to write a Christian. Well, exactly. It wasn't until uh, Constantine came along they even started to give a thought to yeah, what these, is and this, isn't. These canon. are the rules. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so there's several different canons out there, depending on which orthodox Christianity we're talking about and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so there's no doubt that simplicity is desirable, but even in Islam you've then got all sorts of stuff regulating to the demons. You know, they wrestle with this good versus the problem evil of thing. And, yeah. um, As monotheistic religions do, rewards and punishment, etc. Now, yeah. you know, and I, to be honest, I don't think their solutions to these questions are right, and I'd say they're not as good as Christianity's. But to be honest, Christianity's have got a pretty muddled set of stuff out there. Yeah. Because what if you go and ask the lay Christian what? they understand the teaching to be is very different to what you get in a Bible college, for example. Yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, so my next question, uh, I mentioned St. George, the patron saint of England uh, a minute ago. So we're getting back to a bit of an Irish versus English rivalry here. Hello. Could St. Patrick beat St. George in a fight with one arm tied behind his back? 
Um, well, that's quite a handicap, of course, but I must admit that while St George was a great dragon slayer and he really worked on his dragon slaying... I don't know a lot about... Right? Um, but, but did he drive all the snakes out of England? I mean, St Patrick did that from Ireland. Well, yeah, look, um, I'd, I'd say that St George probably had problems of focus, problems of <laughs> technique. Um, whether he'd have been able to deal with a, a drunken Irish saint <laughs> on the warpath, I've greatly doubted. Well, honest. I'll give you a bit of a history lesson. Um, St Patrick was actually an Englishman. Oh. He was a Roman Briton, oh, and yeah. he was captured as a young man by Irish pirates <laughs> and, 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 and grew up in Ireland as a slave and escaped back to England and right. then years later went back, became, converted to Christianity. Oh, no, I can't remember if he was born a Christian or whether he converted. I think he might have been born a Christian, but the, the Irish were Christians at that stage. Right. And then he came back and basically converted the island of Ireland right. to Christianity later right. on in his life. So quite a colourful story there. Certainly colourful. So, so those Irish pirates were certainly licking Englishmen with one arm tied behind their back, aren't they? Well, yeah. <laughs> but I think they paid the price over the next 1,500 years. <laughs> yeah, the English and the Irish, it's uh, always been a vexed relationship. Well, um, I don't know about the Rex factor, but it certainly sounds like Patrick had the saint factor. So... Uh, Look, I've always been a bit dubious, to be honest, about this killing dragons thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to hand this to St. Patrick. <laughs> oh, I can't but, believe it, though. But, oh, my God, you're going to get banished from the yeah. Empire. Well, provided he was drunk at the time, <laughs> I, I think there'd be no doubt. But, the <laughs> other thing that I know St. Patrick for is somebody, uh, an Irishman, asked him to explain the Trinity. Right. And he, he, he knelt down and picked up a three-left clover. Right. And obviously that was three in one, yes. so that was that was a very Irish explanation right, of the Trinity. Yeah. So that was the other thing I know about it. Well, if that was the level of theology he was teaching the Irish, I can see why he converted them. I mean, it's, it's brilliantly <laughs> well, simple. I mean, I think I think I think they were all drinking green beer at the time. Oh, so, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that would certainly help to do the kick. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, you give. I'm going to give you two two points for that because oh, you've given wow. it to St. Paddy. <laughs> Um, what is your explanation for the problem of evil? All right, let's start by separating two things. The question of good and bad is separate to the question of good and evil. Okay. Because bad is an interpretation. So when an earthquake happens... That may be very bad for a whole bunch of human beings, yeah. but it doesn't mean that anything evil is involved. Yes. So, getting back to good and evil, the question becomes, how is it that a loving monotheistic God can have allowed evil to be part of his universe, etc.? Yeah. And the answer there, that's a standard answer, but I think it's a right answer, is twofold. One is, it permits free choice. It enables you to make moral decisions. And the other is it enables contrast because there's no virtue in doing what is good if you didn't have any option anyway. There's no such thing as evil. You, could, you couldn't get it wrong. Yeah. Um, now, the other side, too, is Christians would define good as being that which is within God's perfect will. Yes. So, therefore, God can't do evil because he can't do anything that isn't within his will. Yeah. But... We have the freedom to not walk the path that God would prefer us to walk. Yeah. Um, and 
if you take that away from us, well, there's nothing we can do except, you know, we just become automatons who, you know, there's no option but to just be good. And the nature of love requires you to love someone for what they are, for what they do, with and without their faults. The thing about love is it is never coercive. Yes. It may be relentless. Yeah. It may never give up on you. Yeah. But it is never coercive. Yeah. Um, so that's my understanding of the problem of good and evil. Okay. There has to be evil for contrast. And actually, um, conversation with God is also very good on this because it makes the point that you can't know yourself as a creature, as a God, as anything else, unless you also know the contrast. You can't know light unless you know darkness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Um, is God evil? No. Okay. Could there be an evil God? Well, I don't know if there could be, but there isn't. Right. Um, I, any ideas that Satan is comparable to God, there's huge misunderstandings of Satan and the role he plays. Part of it coming out of Islam, which has totally different things with uh, um, Lydia and uh, whatever, but also coming out of... A very dualist idea. Mm. Um, Christianity is not a dualist religion in yeah. any way, shape or form. Satan is an angel, a fallen angel, but that does not make him bad. Yeah. It does not mean that he does not love God and that God does not love him. Yeah. Um, and the idea that Satan is... Satan is in defiance in a way... But he, even his defiance is an attempt to do what he believes is right for God. Right. I could go into that, but it's another long story. Okay. It's a story worth telling, but yeah. possibly not here. All right. Well, hopefully we'll get to that another day. Um, can a monotheist believe in Satan? Uh, as far as I understand it, Islam does. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and look... Satan, it's very hard to avoid going into the long narrative here. Mm. Satan is a fallen angel. He loves God. And his main concern is that God loves human beings despite the fact that human beings are forever letting him down. Yeah. And Satan, Satan has a problem with the idea of um, love being unconditional. Mm. He's saying there's a point at which you've got to draw a line. Yeah. Um, human beings have failed you every single time. And what's more, they always will, God. They, they're failures. Yeah. They just don't have it. They don't love you the way they should. They don't follow your wishes, your will, your commandments, or anything much else. Um, and I can prove it to you. Every single time you set up someone as being good... I'm going to prove that they actually follow me. When I really put the pressure on, they will be selfish and follow their own best interests, not what you say. Mm. And that's what comes through, for example, from the book of Job with the supposed bet between God and Satan. But it's what he's saying all the way along the line. Yeah. And in Christianity, 
God says, I will send my own son and he will keep my will perfectly. Yeah. Um, and so you get that whole Christian dialogue thing. But there's no question that Satan wants to destroy the world or send us all to hell or anything like that. Yeah. Satan is simply trying to say, they don't respect you, they don't love you the way I do. Yeah. You know, you, this unconditional love for them is wasted, Lord. Yeah. Um, and God's saying, I am a God of absolute love and true love is unconditional, absolute and eternal. Mm. And it will not change. Yes, I agree that they fail me every single time. Nevertheless, I am a just and loving God. And that's a tricky thing to put together, a just and loving God. Yeah. But God says that is my nature. I am absolute. Mm. And Satan says, well, you may be absolute, but these human beings, they ain't. Yeah. To err is human, and they all do it, Lord. And to forgive divine. To forgive is divine. Okay. Good answer. Is syncretism the single great world religion? No. Are we all syncretists? Is another yes, way of well, um, Syncretism is a whole mishmash of collections. Yes. Um, one of the reasons I dislike New Age, for example, or the Unitarian Church if it comes to this, is this attempt to sort of toss everything about in the basket toss out whatever isn't particularly popular and then call it, you know, a, a religion or something like that is, um, well, I think it's horrible, to be honest. I mean, mm. it's not only man-made and it's not only totally populist and, uh, okay, so sacrificing virgins is out, but free sex is in. And <laughs> this, this is terrible stuff. <laughs> I don't know, it sounds like it's got a couple of advantages to me. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's take a, let's make a few sticks of this and it'll all look a lot better. Um, so you're a, you're a practising Christian, but do you think that you have some syncretism in your beliefs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm... <coughs> yes, my faith is in some ways simpler than standard Christianity in its many diverse forms. Um, but, yes, look, I pull in some stuff from Buddhism. If I think it fits well, I pull in quite a lot of stuff. You know, I, I use the metaphor of climbing a mountain as a spiritual journey. You believe in ghosts, I think, don't you? I do believe in ghosts, yep. yes. Um, so there's a bit of animism in there? Uh, well, you can call it animism. Uh, the animists would call it animism, yes. Um, but then uh, the Holy Ghost, so uh, it's, it's not outside Christianity in any way, shape or form. But yes, I've, I understand what the shaman do. I understand animism. I understand the veil and a whole bunch of things. Um, what I don't fully understand is the soul. That one's causing me a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, um, Christianity is syncretic. I take on board some of its synchronism and I add other bits of synchronism to it because I'm a big picture person trying to find the truth. And yeah. I, do not, I do not believe that Christianity is the embodiment of truth. Um, mm. I don't believe you only get to heaven if you are a Christian, for example. Yeah. Um, no, that's un out of line with with Christian thought, but mm. yeah, I'm syncretic to that extent. 
I believe you can get to God. Syncretic. Syncretic. <laughs> you can get to God and pretty much any way, so long as you follow what God's shown you. Yeah, I believe that the different religions, faiths, spiritualities are like spokes in a wheel. So if the truth is in the, the hub of the wheel, there's different paths to get to the truth. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, some are better than others, and yeah. I'm not sure any of them are actually complete, but uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. So I don't, I, I don't think, well, no, some are on the wrong wheel. So, so you know, I, I believe there are some things that are just on the completely wrong yes. wheel, but, but the main ones, you know, that have some truth to them, I think they're on the right wheel. I'm just not sure how, how right. close yeah. to the centre of the wheel they are. As a generalist, I don't believe on most issues there is one truth. The idea that, you know, there is a truth, I, I reject that very yeah. heavily. Yeah. In my opinion, on most issues, there are many aspects of the truth and you can... You're so postmodern, Hutto. Postmodern? Well, that's... You're a postmodern Christian. <laughs> um, I think we'll leave it there. We're going to have a five-minute break. Right. Uh, and then we're, we're, and we're not going to make it four days this time and I'm not going to be drinking okay, <laughs> or setting up children's orphanages. Uh, we're just going to have a five-minute break and uh, I'll see you on the flip-flop. The flip-flop and an elbow bump. <laughs> the, fl- the flip-flop and beyond. Okay, hello. So we're back from our break. Welcome back, everybody. And I have a few more unanswerable questions for you. <sighs> Straight into the deep end with you. I'm still in the hot seat. You are. So my next question is, did God invent mathematics? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told you I've been thinking about this problem for 20 years or something. That's why I whacked it in there. He throws it at me as one of his unanswerable, impossible questions. That's so unfair. It is, it is. Okay, did God invent mathematics? Or did mathematics invent God or whatever? Well, I was going to ask that, but I wasn't sure whether that covered everything. I suppose it does cover everything. I was going to ask, did God invent mathematics or did mathematics invent God? But then I thought, hang on, that might leave other possibilities. So I'll just say, did God invent mathematics? But if you want to talk about the other side of that question, then feel free. Okay. Um, The result of my cogitations of 10, 15, 20 years is that at this stage... I am more inclined to the view that God did not invent mathematics. So that means... Oh, I'll, let you, I'll let you finish before, thank I, you, start, thank before you. I start criticising. <laughs> before you ask yet more questions. Yes. yes okay. Um, story is this. If God created mathematics, it seems to me that means... He could have created mathematics differently. Because after all, if you can't create it differently, you haven't really created it. It's there as part of the fabric of reality. Now, it's true that we know nothing about how you create something from mathematics or anything else if it comes to that. But it does seem to me that even with our limited brains, and mine is very limited, we should be able to imagine an alternative, some way in which 2 plus 2 does not equal 4, yeah. some way in which Euler's identity is not, is not true, yeah. could be something else. Yeah. Um, 
Now, okay, mine's not a particularly great brain, and I certainly have not managed to do that, but mm. I suspect that even Isaac Newton... I mean, there are other people who think about these things, and they're not... I have seen no suggestion that mathematics is anything except immutable. We mm. do not invent mathematics, we discover mathematics. Mm. Um, and once you understand why Euler's identity is what it is and becomes, you know, kind of has to be the way it is, mm. then you need to go to the next step of saying, and how could it be something else? And nobody's, nobody that I'm aware of has come up with anything approaching that. Mm. So therefore, if mathematics is immutable, God did not create it. Mm. It's the way it is. God may have created a trillion, billion, infinite number of multiverses, but they have, mathematics applies to all of them. There's no getting around yeah. it. Yeah. Now, so if mathematics is part of the fabric of the universe, then the question becomes, does God come about as a consequence of mathematics yeah. or something similar? Yeah. Uh, there's another thing, information theory is the way I refer to it, and I'm not sure whether information theory is a subset of mathematics or mm. mathematics is a subset of information theory or whether they're, they're separate. But clearly information is connected with the idea of knowledge, consciousness, omniscience, these sort of things. Yeah. Um, and I think it may be that as a result of information theory, you've got to have some sort of consciousness, some sort of process. That, for example, you can't not have information. Mm. Even if you say, you know, Detective Inspector says, well, what information do we have about this man? The detective Sergeant said, we've got no information about him at all. Oh, good, says the Detective Inspector. Well, that means clearly he wasn't born in this country. Um, he doesn't have a passport. He's never been in hospital. He may have been had his identity wiped by national security. Immediately, yeah. there's a whole bunch of information comes out of the fact that we have no information. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it may be indeed that you cannot have light without having darkness. You can't. The dialectic holds. Yeah. You must have contrasts. Yeah. And you must maybe have to have a God consciousness as part of that. Yeah. Um, we've got minus one and we've got plus one. You have to have a zero in between. Yeah. Well, the Romans didn't understand that, <laughs> which is why we go straight from 1 BC to 1 AD, but <laughs> it don't really work. Um, but you've still got the question of, so, you know, do numbers exist? Um, is there, you know, does 2 plus 2 equal 4, do they exist? Does the square root of minus 1, the irrational number set, exist? And yeah. I personally believe your scoring system on me here is totally irrational, so I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting to get the square root of minus 1 for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad idea. I'm going to start using uh, irrational and unreal numbers to score Exactly you. so. Um, so... You, you have all these interesting questions, um, but my feeling at this stage is, no, God did not invent mathematics. Okay. Um, one thing that comes to my mind is that a common objection or argument against the omnipotence of God is that God cannot 
is mathematically based. So, mm -hmm. for example, God cannot create a square circle. Mm -hmm. So, I, what, when I was butting into you before, if God didn't create mathematics, does that then imply that God is not omnipotent? Look, we know that God is not omnipotent in the sense that um, God cannot do anything which is not in accordance with God's will. Um, God cannot not love if he's a God of absolute love. He can't not forgive, for example. Yeah. Um, Makes you wonder why Satan's trying to convince him otherwise if he can't do it. Well, that's, that's a fair point. It's like, trying to it's like me trying to convince you to fly, Hutto. Uh, the, the you know, I'm wasting my breath. The argument is that Satan's deficiency is he does not fully comprehend the absolute... The nature of God. ...nature of love. Yes, mm. that's right. Um, which is a pretty small flaw, but nevertheless it's, it's kind of a major flaw because God cannot be reconciled with someone who disagrees with them on such a thing. Anyway, leaving all that aside, back to mathematics. Look, there's lots of things God can't do. God can't make a God that's greater than himself. He, he, can't, can't, make, he can't make an object so heavy that it's too heavy for him to move. Correct, all these sorts of things. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff in which God is limited, and it may be uh, that the reason he created... For, for example, it's the nature of love... To love yourself, yes, but also to love others. Mm. So God has to create others to love because it's the nature of love. Yeah, uh, He can't not do it. There is no other, Hutto. It's an illusion. Uh, the others may be part of yourself, but it's just like I have a subconscious and a conscious. And yeah. to my conscious... Different aspect my, of yourself. That's right. My subconscious yeah. feels like another. Certainly Freud and Jung would have a field day with that. That other is a, you know, a projection and all that sort of all stuff. All that sort of stuff, yeah. Okay, that's all I'm giving you here on mathematics. I could go on for it for another hour, but we won't. No, I don't think I want to talk about mathematics for an hour. <laughs> um, do you believe that certain ideologies are actually religions? I know Harari defines them... Uh, Thus, yes. Uh, but do you agree? Uh, okay. In terms of their behaviours that they induce in human beings, yes. Um, so if you like, he's... But, but religion isn't defined by behaviour. We have a definition of religion. Okay. If well, we... if we use Harari's definition... If we use... I mean, really, the question is, do you agree with Harari's definition of religion? And I suspect you don't. Okay. I, I think you think religion needs to have a supernatural element for it to be a religion. Um, um, but that's a presumption, not, not a... Okay. I believe that religion needs some sort of supernatural deity or powers, um, demons, whatever, to be a religion. But Sarari would probably say, well, you create many of those in your own mind. And yeah, beyond yeah. question, many of them have been created. Yeah. So... In that case... But not the what, ones we believe in, What Hutto. is the difference? Well, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I'm not going to bite there. I'll just say, <laughs> yes. So I, I think your that. answer to that, in one word, is no. I don't think you believe that communism is a religion. I don't think you believe that um, liberal humanism is a religion. Well, thank you. Okay, if you're going down that route, you're left with the question, well, so is Buddhism a religion? Well, that, that, he uses that as an example very cleverly 
because we usually consider particularly Buddhism, 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 <laughs> Buddhism. But he also mentions Confucianism mm-hmm. and, and uh, cynicism and stoicism. Yes, because they've been treated as religions over the journey. Um, so Buddhism is an easy one to say. Oh, hang on, this is a religion without a god. So that means we can now have other religions without a god. So, uh, so are you? Well, I, you haven't said it yet, but I think you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you have said it. You would then dispute that Buddhism is a religion. I think by the sounds of that. Well, another question is, is a religion something which involves worship? Now, Buddhism has evolved into something that involves worship, but it was never the intention of Buddha to be worshipped, and it was never the intention of Joshua of Nazareth to be worshipped. He'd be horrified, I think, if he saw statues of himself, especially the big fat. I don't think he was a big fat guy, like we see in these statues, and yeah. And people tend to venerate these statues. I don't think uh, Siddhartha would be too, too no, impressed. No, I, I agree. So um, let's just say that it's an issue of definition and it's cloudy at the edges. <laughs> okay, we well get zero for that, for avoiding the question. Oh, well, zero is better than I might have got. I might have got the square root of minus one. <laughs> Are you a humanist? And if so, what kind? I'm not. Okay. Um, my answer to that is... As I mentioned in the in the last podcast, I was a bit disturbed because I consider myself a liberal humanist, but I didn't believe in their basic. I don't believe in the deification of humankind as mm-hmm. opposed to other reality, mm-hmm. uh, which was really one of the the founding thoughts that led to liberal humanism. Um, social hu- social humanism, all souls created equal. Yeah, I, I believe that. Liberal humanism, all souls are free. Yeah, I, I believe that as well. Evolutionary humanism, well. Yeah, I kind of believe in the, the the basic principles of that. I just don't believe they then they then went on to, um, they went then went on to build on that, and they got it wrong in on a couple right. in a couple of ways. But uh, I, I mean, I've always considered myself a, a liberal humanist, but now I'm confused after reading this chapter. So yeah, it's easier for you because you don't consider yourself to be a humanist. I, so does that mean you don't believe in human rights, Hutter? Okay, <laughs> we've got a lot of syncretism. Syncretism. Syncretism in here. Um, Because, yes, I do believe that human beings are very special creatures. I do believe that we have a soul. I do believe we have free choice. I believe we are significantly different to all other creatures. Unfortunately, we're the only creature that can drive other creatures to extinction. We're doing it very effectively. Um, It's no credit to us. But no other creature in history has ever had that power. Mm. Um. And I do, I am more concerned about the happiness of, I do believe that we have a special relationship with the creator and I am, I think, somewhat more interested, concerned about the happiness of humans than the happiness of chickens, for example. Yeah. All of those things a humanist would jump on and say is evidence that I am in fact a humanist, but I still say I'm not. I do not, for example, see human life a sacrosanct. Yeah. yeah, Roman Catholicism does. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's not in the Nicene Creed, and I don't. Yeah, um, I do not see everything as revolving around human beings. I am slightly concerned about the happiness of chickens. Mm. Um, so it's it's not clear cut. A yeah. lot of our 
Christian beliefs have been dragged into humanism, and a lot of humanist beliefs have now been dragged into Christianity. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to um, note you down as a syncretist, which is something that you admitted to earlier, anyway. So I haven't been able to get, catch you in a contradiction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a tick for that answer. Um, will evolutionary humanism raise its head again in the future? Have we seen the last of it, Hallo? It seems highly unlikely. Um, now, what we have now is a different version of it. There are still some proponents of it, by the way, so it's not completely dead. Indeed. Um, but what we now have, what, we, what the Nazis were talking about was the need to avoid degeneration of the human race by selective breeding and the stuff that the farmers have been doing for centuries. <laughs> yeah. um, what we have now, of course, and, and that is, if you like, human-controlled circumstantial evolution. Yeah. But what we now have is designer evolution. Yeah. We can actually fiddle directly with the genes themselves. Yeah. Um, so that creates a different argument. You don't have to change your... You don't have to be a Nazi to be an evolutionary humanist. Correct. You just got me off the hook, Hutto, because I, I believed in the principles of evolutionary humanism, but I'm certainly not a Nazi. Well, one of the things I'm dead against is the idea that human beings are any sort of apex of creation. Now, again, you're people who believe that Genesis is about God designed and we are the greatest creatures in sliced bread, or... Actually, not a very good analogy. <laughs> we're better than sliced bread. <laughs> uh, um, we're not. I mean, there's so many flaws in human beings, it's not even funny at the creature level. Mm. And, yeah, we can design better, no question. Um, we've got to improve some techniques, etc., but by about 2100, we can redesign the human genome and make us a whole lot better than we are. Uh, one of the upcoming books on our list, and it might take us 10 years to get there, the way the road we're going, is, uh, is um, Harari's second book, Homo Deus, right. which is a brief history of tomorrow, and mm. he talks about a lot of this stuff in more detail. Mm. So you, you, you've been interested in that sort of stuff for a long time. You yes. know a lot more about it than I do. Um, but it'll be interesting to have a, uh, a chat with you about it, you know, in more detail when we get there. We should get there. Oh, <laughs> we'll get there, all right. One year, we will get there. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, no, I'll give you a mark for that. No, I'll give you no, I'll give you half a mark just because I don't like the way you're looking at me. No, <laughs> that, that, that's as logical as anything you've come up with. Yeah, that's right. What is the difference between being enlightened and being a stone? Now, the reason I ask that question is I, I, had a I had a read about this attaining nirvana thing in this book, you know, with the Buddhists, and it's like essentially about giving up all your desires, everything you want, almost in a sense everything that makes you human, and meditating all day right? and, and achieving enlightenment. And I thought, oh... What's the, what's the fun in this? Why would I do this? So that's why I asked that question. Right. Well, stones aren't overly interesting things. I'd kind of like to take a more interesting topic from free will or anything else. That ha how one makes decisions, for example. Now, this is a topic that can be looked at from a whole bunch of different things. Psychology, mathematics of game theory competition, economics, etc., etc. So we can get a whole lot of ologies 
looking at this topic, and I call that a generalist with wisdom. Yeah. And you can get a somewhere close to discovering the truth about this topic, this object, whatever it is you're looking at, by looking at it from many different directions. Mm. Enlightenment, as I understand it, is when instead of looking at it from many different directions, you actually look at it in the sense of becoming the object, the topic you're looking at. Yeah, You're saying okay. it from the inside oh, I thought out. you were going to say looking at it from every direction at the same time. But that would that be a different thing or would that be... It would be closely related. Yeah, okay. That might be a step on the way. And when when I get to enlightenment, I'll clarify the yeah. difference for you. I'd like to be enlightened, but I just can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, the Irish blood of yours. It's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't be bothered to hear that. I heard a lot that heard a lot of that from my mum over the journey. Look, are you just ignorant or are you just too lazy? <laughs> well, I, I'm probably more lazy than ignorant, to be honest with you. Well, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ignorance and apathy. No, no, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so have you answered that question though? Because I did sort of interrupt you. So yeah. I'm giving you the best I've got because I am not enlightened. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. So being enlightened. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, I like that answer. So really, what you're saying is, if you're enlightened, you can in, you can in a sense experience yes the act of being a stone. Yes. Good answer. You Thank definitely you. get a mark for that. I like that. And and that I, because that's something I hadn't considered before. Right. And I'm also saying that enlightenment is the step above wisdom. Okay. Um, well, here's, my answer is slightly different to that because I had to think about this and I realised that my... I don't think being enlightened is like being a stone because for one key difference, it makes you really happy. And I'm not sure stones necessarily feel anything. So apparently this, this idea of being in nirvana... It's a, it's a really happy feeling. So you're not some sort of dead stone who's cut off from all the joys of life and so forth. In fact, you're actually emphasising and heightening the joy and love and all the positive things that you can actually experience in life. So when I asked that question, I was like, God, this doesn't sound too appealing. But if it makes you feel really good all the time, better than having a few beers, hello. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a worthwhile state to achieve. Well, I think you and I should have a few beers <laughs> and then I'll be able to show you some happy stones. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. My second last question. We're getting to the end now. Um, do humans have a soul? What a one to slip on me. Okay, I've, um, for the last two years, I have been seriously trying to pin down the issue of the soul and what is a soul and all the rest of it and whether Plato had anything going for him at all. Um, and I have serious doubts about St. Augustine because I've read some of his logic and he sometimes flukes the right answer without doing so in a very logical way. Brilliant mind, but just didn't have Wikipedia to help him yeah, out. He yeah. didn't just didn't know enough. Yeah. Um, the soul is a very difficult and complex question. It is tied in with free choice and things like that. And I have yet to see anything approaching an explanation of the soul that I'm halfway convinced with. Yes. Um, do humans have a soul? I believe so. 
Um, but since I can't really say what a soul is, there are large areas of question mark around this. Okay, well, you don't get a point for that. Indeed. The I answer would... to that question is no. Humans don't have a soul. Right. The soul has humans. Yes, I've heard this idea too. Um, and as one who does believe that we are dwelling in a virtual reality and we are, in a sense, a player entering the VR, um, that's another aspect I'm looking at. I do think that we're probably in a VR, but where we come into it as players, I've got questions with about. Mm. Um, a lot of the problem hangs around this word experience. Uh, there are some Hindus, I believe, um, Sikhs who believe that stones do in fact have experience, awareness, and at this stage I'm not seeing it, I haven't met a happy stone. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know the meaning of life, Hutter, I'll give it to you now in the next two minutes. So um, the first principle is that Everything in reality, everything in existence is made from the same stuff, the one stuff, right? That's the first axiom. Oh, we've gone right back to ancient Greek philosophy. Yeah, yeah. a bit of Spinoza thrown in. Mm. The, second, the second axiom is that that stuff is conscious. Okay, now you can call this the, before you interrupt. Because I have said a yeah, there you are. I could see your lips about to move. <laughs> so, so everything's made of the same thing, which I think physicists would probably agree with. Let's call it energy, which can which can be also in a material form. So let's call it energy, but uh, you know whatever. And now the energy is conscious, right? Now, this is not an axiom, but an implication of those two axioms is that. Because this conscious thing is everywhere, it has and every when it has nowhere to be, nowhere to go, it has no fear. It only has positive emotions because it has no reason to have any negative emotions. So all it has is love, which is love for itself because it is everything, right? Um, and you know all the good things you talk about, um, and that's that's the meaning of life. So that's why I say, do humans have a soul? No. Humans are made up of, they are, they are a part of, the, a, a very tiny part of the collective soul in material form, in a very complex form, and we have the illusion of self-consciousness, which is created by the brain or the mind. So, that, 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 so hopefully that, uh, now that's, that might be all completely wrong, but at least it um, gives some context around my answer. Right. Because you're not the only one that's allowed to give answers around here, Hutter. I'm allowed to come up with my ignorant opinions as well. Indeed so. <laughs> and if you're giving answers, I found so many things wrong with that. I'm about minus 400. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't give you the chance to mark me back, should I? That was, that was, a, that was a mistake. Well, hopefully there's someone out there that agrees with me. And if I'm wrong... You know, happy to be wrong if, if, something, if there's something I'm better out there. I'm sincerely hoping there is nobody out there that agrees with him, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are, Matt. I'm sure there are. Okay, last question. If religion didn't exist, would we have to invent it now? The reason I ask that question, because mm. I know it's a, a question, you actually mentioned something about it in our last podcast. You said something of the sort. If God didn't exist, we'd have to invent him. Right. Um. But I was reading something online recently where someone was saying, 
basically saying that if religion didn't exist, would we have to invent it? And, and saying, he was basically saying that in the States now, with the divisiveness of politics, mm-hmm. politics has in a sense become the new religion, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, it's an ideology and people, people are passionate, people are dying for their political beliefs now over in the States. Right. Right. And this thing that I was reading, I can't remember where it was, it was just on a forum or something. And this guy was saying, there must be some innate human need to belong to some religion or ideology. You know, ideology is the same thing for the definition I'm using for the sake of this discussion. Uh, we certainly have an innate, I think we have an innate need to have these ideologies and religions. So if it didn't exist, would we have to invent it, Hello. We would undoubtedly have to invent it, just as if God didn't exist, we would have to invent him. And we've invented lots and lots of gods, and they're very anthropomorphic, and we are a very arrogant species. But if you look at the structure of the mind and the structure of human consciousness, it's very clear that beliefs, um, including shared beliefs, are a very important way in which we build and structure our mind. And religion is an important aspect of our belief system. And yes, whether you call it ideologies or or whatever, we would nevertheless... It's almost part of the glue which brings certain aspects and levels of the mind together. So, yeah, I'm happy to say if religion didn't exist, would we have to invent it? Uh, We'd have to invent religion or something pretty darn similar because it plays a vital role in building a mind. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's right, so I'll give you a tick for that. Oh, I've got ticks, I've got ones, I've got twos, and I've got... Yeah, so so now I'm going to give you your final score. So there were actually 21 questions there. There was originally 22, but I combined two of them into one. That was so clever of you. Yes, Yes, so you'll get get one less for starters. Of course. (laughs) And I think your result was... Pi out of 22. Okay. Well, at least it's not irrational. It's merely... uh... (laughs) No, it is irrational. Pi is irrational. It's real. It's a real number. It's a real number, yes. But it's an irrational number. It's an irrational number. It can't be expressed in a fraction. That's correct, yes. Well, uh, at least it's not imaginary. so... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so... It is a step backwards for you, though, because all the other scores I've given you so far have been rational. So now you're getting into irrational territory, and uh, you might get the square root of minus one uh, next week. We'll and, see how we go. And I can't even accuse it of being illogical. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Engineering problems are solved with these numbers, though. Indeed they are. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematics, though. Good um, all right, so that, that's it for, uh, for this week. We've and, finished the chapter. Yeah, sorry about all the questions, guys, but, you know, religion is something that uh, I, I have many questions about, and yeah. you can't find them in books, so I yeah. thought I'd ask you, Hutto. Right, right, and uh, if we get on to a short chapter next, but it's, it's full of good stuff. Okay, well, I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to get stuck into that tomorrow, and I'll see you back here fairly shortly on the flip-flop. On the flip-flop. <laughs> Elbow bump. Elbow bump. Yay!